Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 239. Maybe there's no point to any of this at all. This week, we're discussing the larger themes and character development of season four of Angel, as well as series 10, episode 12 of Doctor Who, The Doctor Falls. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay, wrapping up Angel season four now. Mm. This was an odd one. Finally. (laughs) Finally, the, the long nightmare is over. I mean, it's no longer than any other season. It just felt that way. It just... it kind of did. And then, um, yeah, this is, this is a strange one. Um, mm. I feel like we'll get into the specifics of why this is, because I don't even know. I have, I've tried not to look at your, yeah your written notes or anything. Um, you, you've mentioned a few things, but for the most part, I still don't exactly know what went on. <laughs> what what like what the heck happened like, with this season? What? Um and some of it is cryptic-y, like we're projecting what we know of behind the scenes drama onto Yes. the storytelling, which isn't Indeed. always the um that's not always the surest guide. Like maybe these things like affected the way they wrote things, but we don't know what conversations went on or what people's motivations were. What the 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 statement I'm working my way towards is there's always that sense in TV of even more so than other mediums of making it up as you go along because it's done over yeah. such a long period of time. And like things happen, life happens. Hold, hold on and pretend it's a poem. Yes, exactly. Um, and that's always the case. And things happen like people leave because they get another job or they're unhappy and they want to leave or they get fired or they get pregnant or, um, you know, or there are budget cuts or the C- or the yeah. network chooses to reduce your episode count, whatever it is. Yeah. And I feel like, have, but having said that that's always the case, um, I feel like of all the shows we've talked about, you can disagree if you can think of another example. I feel like that sense was never so strong as in this season of Angel. Like, we certainly had times where, like, to think of examples, I don't think the plan was for Christopher Eccleston to leave after one season of Doctor Who, right? Right. Or right. the the plan wasn't to have um, the writers go on strike and break up season four of Battlestar Galactica. So like, so we definitely had like real world interventions that changed things, but I can't think of any other example where for me that they didn't somehow sort of stick the landing. Like they didn't recover the balance and find, okay, we regret that Eccleston left but it didn't necessarily completely cripple season two. Like they found out another solution. Um, Whereas I feel like with this season, especially in the second half, it's really hard to watch it and not think about, okay, whether you know what it is or not, wonder what the heck is going on behind the scenes. Because 
these just don't seem like decisions that yeah. would have been made like completely sidelining your lead actress, you know, for the majority of the season doesn't seem like a good solution under any circumstances. Um, yeah. So anyway, we're going to get into we that's not necessarily where we, we wanted to start, but um <laughs> yeah, we will definitely get into that. And I mean we'll get into what some of the uh people involved in the production, you know, have said about it as well. Now, you know, um as C.S. Lewis says, one must not listen to what the author says about, you know, how they create their art. Um mm-hmm. But we're going to maybe do a little bit of that anyway. Well, we can certainly and listen. It doesn't have to be the only... It's. I, I think the problem is when that becomes... Well, because yeah. Joss said it, then it's that's the objective truth. Um, well, and or part the, of what or I... the assumption that the drama is the only thing driving the writing. Like, there are creative decisions behind the writing, too, that are going on. And what I want to get into a little bit is actually some of the different things that different people say and whether or not they may or may not be compatible, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, like what happens when you have contradictory stories of yeah. what all went on? Um, or not even stories, but even like description, more like, yeah, like different interpretations of what went on. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't think it's that, like everyone sort of agrees as to like the facts of the case, but then it's like, well, here's how we think about it and feel about it. And yeah. um, maybe there's some reasons why people did and said, and you know, certain things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in any case, I, I, even if you try your best to keep it to the text and not even think about that stuff, as we didn't talk about it for the most part during the season, I don't think it was, I think it was very hard to escape the sense that, um, you know, I don't. I, <laughs> the writers honestly, didn't know what the heck they were doing. Well, a little bit. Part of me feels like we have the same conversation at the end of every season of Angel of like, well, that wasn't the strongest, but it was, you know, whatever. But, like, more so, I think, than usual was, yeah, that sense of whether or not they always know where it's going. You you know, it certainly didn't have a sense of people, of them being in control of what was going on. Um, mm-hmm. Even of, like, the current episode and the current arc that they're doing. Like, never mind do they know where it's going, like, next year. Um Mm-hmm. Do they have control of like, you do, do they know what they're doing right now in this moment? Seems a bit up in the air. Um, so, yeah. But anyway, you wanted to start with some bigger picture production notes, I think. Yeah, just kind of, I mean, we don't have to spend a ton of time, um, but maybe just, you know, going through and remembering like some of the production stuff. Because I feel like there's maybe some stuff to say about in here, too. And and so, um, one, it's worth noting that David Greenwald left at the end of season three and went on to make another show for a different network. And um, so you have not just like showrunner, but like one of the co-creators of the show and the creator of the character Angel um, that way back in Buffy. That's uh, I mean, you know, maybe with Joss's input and, you know, 
all of that, but like basically he wrote the first Angel episode and and then the first episode with Angel in it, I mean, and also the first episode of the Angel show, you know, sort of with Joss and developing that. And so that's a big loss. Like, mm-hmm. um, and you have Joss now sort of stretched between, you know, uh, he's butter over too much bread or whatever the, mm-hmm. you know, the Hobbit saying is there, um, or Lord of the Rings saying. And um, he's got Buffy still coming mm-hmm. up on its last season, Angel, and then now this new pet project of Firefly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's a lot of, um, you know, veteran executive producing that's kind of leaving uh or or at least being distracted in the case of Josh among yeah you know multiple projects um yeah and- I can I jump in real quick I, I remember from some interview with him saying the, about talking about you know the fabled year that he ran three shows mm-hmm. and saying like well I can't let down Buffy because that's the final season and I can't let down Firefly because that's the first season and I can't let down Angel because that's the one everyone's going to expect me to let down. So I can't Mm -hmm. like, you know, so like the pressure is on all three. Um, Having now seen this season, I have to wonder whether that's, you know, really what happened. Like that might've been his intention, but like, yeah, yeah, I think him being sort of stretched to the max is, you know, retroactively a little bit you know apparent here yeah and so the first well and we can talk about his explanation for why things went wrong which is not that um and you know decide whether or not that's valid or not too um so they brought in so after david greenwald left they brought in david simkins um who uh, i for i should have written down like stuff that he has done elsewhere but um you know basically uh he brought him in as executive producer or co-executive producer um and basically his work corresponds to basically like the first four episodes but he's uncredited because he left rather quickly and abruptly um Mm. due to creative differences um and and those first four episodes being Deep Down, Ground State, The House Always Wins, and Slouching Towards Bethlehem, which, if you remember any of those, are, like, very episodic. And we can kind of get into, like, the seasonal arc um, a little bit later when we're talking about specific episodes. But, like, that first third or so of the season is a very, they're very episodic, very, not quite procedural in the way that, like, the first season is, but but more standalone you know, deep down is, you know, um, you get the, you know, angel in the casket at the bottom of the ocean, right? Like kind of having flashbacks and seeing things. And then, he, you know, Wesley finally pulls him out. With Ground State, you have the whole Gwen aspect, um, you know, being added. The house always wins is like where they go out and get Lorne and it's in a different city and different, you know, like set and kind of has a monster of the week feel to it um Mm -hmm. and then slouching towards bethlehem is really the first one where we start to get a little hint of like a big bad coming but it's not like it's not really there yet it's just kind of like yep we're hinting at it and then like they go into some other thing Mm -hmm. um 
so after David Simpkins leaves, um, and, and that, you know, it's always hard to find like how much involvement did he actually have in creating those episodes on IMDb. It, you know, they have him listed, but like as uncredited, you know, I don't yeah. know what that means. Like yeah. did, did, only how, the people in the room, how heavy know, was his hand know. in those? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, and after he left, uh, Jeffrey Bell was promoted to co-executive producer, uh, with Joss, um, who, who's still, you know, sort of in that role. Um, and Jeffrey Bell, um, is, is the showrunner at that point, really the sole showrunner. Although, of mm-hmm. course, Joss is still involved. Um, and then that affects the writing and directing. So we noted that Whedon only writes and directs one episode this season, Spin the Bottle. Um, Tim Minear, who who was an executive, uh, or not executive, but a, an experienced writer in you know Angel, um, wrote only one episode, and that's the finale this season. Um, Stephen, well, and to sort of fill some of those holes um, that are kind of left by people going off and doing Firefly or 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 other shows. In the case of David Greenwald, um, you get like Stephen tonight coming over from Buffy and wrote ends up writing six episodes this season, um, which is the most of any writer. Um, and when I say write, like write slash co-write, because um, some of these are you know sure. overlap, of course. Yeah. But because like if you add these all up, there's I think more tw- more than twenty two, but like. Um, there's some co-writer credits in some of these. Um, mm-hmm. David Fury also uh, gets brought over from Buffy and writes four episodes. Um, and at the end of the season um, is actually gets promoted to co-executive producer with Jeffrey Bell, I guess sort of noting that's maybe Joss realizing that he's not giving the attention he needs to give. And so like now you get Joss not even being an executive producer um, at that point. For for the following season, for season oh, five. Oh, for season sort of, five, he's not at all. That that that's that's the announcement for season five is that David Fury and Jeffrey Bell. Well, I won't say not at all because I think I meant I've alluded before that Jeffrey Bell actually leaves halfway through season five. Mm-hmm. But um, at least at least now it will like where we are when we end season four. David Fury is announced as you know the new co-executive producer basically replacing Joss because mm-hmm. Jeffrey Bell's still there. So like, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, that's it. Um, and then as far as writers go, we get Elizabeth Kraft and Sarah Fain, um, who are a writing team, um, joining the show. Mare Smith, who, um, had written before for Buffy and Angel, um, wrote a few episodes. And of course we get, uh, Sean Astin's directorial debut. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so don't want to forget, uh, Sam Gamgee's. Sam uh, Yeah, there. Um, What's funny to me is um, just taking a further step back in season five when Buffy and Firefly are both not going forward. Like, so the choice wasn't to come back and go Angel full time. It was like he'd already started to move away to other things. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's interesting. But we can talk about season five later. Um, it's a conversation for next another, time or another day. Yeah, whenever we wrap up season five. Um, yeah, and so, um, yeah, I don't. I mean, so from a 
producing, writing, directing, like sort of aspect, there's there's kind of a lot of movement going on here. And again, it's crit fic, you know, but like not maybe surprising that when you have like executive producers leaving and coming and leaving and coming, mm-hmm. you know, that takes a toll on a show and, and maybe the direction from a seasonal perspective. Um, when you have like seasoned writers, not just seasoned writers, like who are good writers, you know, in general, but like writers on the show, including David Greenwald, who left altogether, Jeffrey, or sorry, um, Tim Minear, who left to go work on another show, you know, um, Whedon himself, who doesn't write as many episodes this season as he has in the past. Like, that's that's a problem like you you suddenly have like good writers coming over from Buffy but who aren't experienced in the tone and story maybe as much with Angel and mm-hmm. um other good writers like Elizabeth Craft and Sarah Fain who are um again like good writers and they'll go on to like work with Joss on Dollhouse later but like aren't necessarily like well versed in what angel's doing mm-hmm. um at least from like being on the set and actually right i mean maybe they were following the show and like know about it but yeah it's obviously a different thing to be actually writing it um and so you have mayor smith who's really the only like i mean she writes four episodes but also becomes the executive story editor in season four so mm-hmm. she's really kind of the only one who has that through line mm-hmm. in a way that like nobody else really on the show working at that point has at that point mm-hmm. um so um yeah yeah uh and then just real quick like to round out like sort of from from that side of things um of course we get some actors right like especially when firefly sort of um goes up in smoke um you get gina torres and jonathan woodward who we've acknowledged before um, but you also get like Eliza Dushku coming back and having a couple of episodes um, or at least one episode. Is it just the one where, and then she kind of goes off? I can't remember. Uh, uh, it's hard to remember. No, like, she, uh, she got one. It's a couple, one, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She got a couple. Um, and then uh, Alexa Davalos, who played Gwen um, mm-hmm. in, in three episodes. So um those are maybe like from a just from a pure acting perspective i feel like those are like more you know some of the better like things that have happened in this season mm-hmm. um you know regardless of sort of how they you know use the stories of these characters i feel like those are actually some highlights because i i like all of those actors and i think um there's some good things to say about them all and, and the characters they portrayed um mm-hmm. even if the storylines don't always uh, suffice or mm-hmm. or please. Um, it is worth noting that this year of mm-hmm. 2003 actually uh, won some awards. Mm-hmm. Now the question becomes, and we've always talked about it, and I don't want to diminish the fact that it won awards or, yeah. or any of the people who won those awards. Yes. But I will note that the awards that are being given here are in 2004 for the 2003 calendar year. And so that encompasses the end of season four and the beginning of season five. Mm -hmm. And there's one award that I can't actually mention because it's, I definitely 
tied to a season five thing here. Mm -hmm. So we'll mention it there, but it's with the same group of like Saturn awards and stuff Mm -hmm. that, um, all right. So that said, like, you know, can we say this is all for season four? Mm -hmm. No, but we'll mention it here because it's, it encompasses at least the last half of season four. And so you get in the Saturn awards, actually three awards, one, um, five total nominations, um, with David Boreanaz, uh, as best actor in a television series, Amy Acker uh, as best supporting actress in a television series. And then uh, tied with the show CSI for best network television series, which is kind of a big deal. Like mm-hmm. CSI is on a, a big major network and you know, this, and, and like, if I'm remembering my timeline, like fairly early in its run and, and it, uh, you know, I mean, I was watching CSI at that point, I'm pretty sure, and not watching Angel. So, like, you know. Um, what does that tell you? Yeah. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I think, you know, interesting that it could hold its own against a major network. Now, mm-hmm. this isn't like the Golden Globes or anything. It's a Saturn Award. So it's tied to science fiction. Sure. We can argue whether CSI fits sort of the normal criteria for science fiction. I mean, it's got science in it and it's fiction. It's more like mundane science fiction than, mm-hmm. you know, maybe traditional, um, you you know, maybe you would think traditionally. But anyway, all of that to say that um, does pretty well. The, the other nominations are Charisma Carpenter for Best Actress uh, in a TV series and Alexis Denisoff for uh, Best Supporting Actress. Actor, sorry, uh, in a television series. Um, <laughs> some other nominations include um, Satellite Awards, Best Actor for David Boreanaz. Best Supporting Actor for Andy Hallett and Best Supporting Actresses Actress for both Amy Acker and Gina Torres. Um, International Horror Guild uh, nominated for Best Television. Uh, SFX Awards, which is a UK award, um, mm-hmm. won the Most Improved Science Fiction most Fantasy improved. Show. Again, funny. maybe this is referring to season five. Um, <laughs> right, they specifically mean the jump from the end so, of season four. Uh, you know, I yeah. can't, I can't, but it's, you know, that time frame. Um, and then nominated, but didn't win for best TV show. It just cracks me up that that's a category. Most, Most improved. improved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually, so that was listed in IMDb. I could not find like a separate mm-hmm. SFX award website to like verify, which I usually try to do. So. I threw that in there last because IMDb listed it. You know, that's fine. Like, I don't, it's certainly not one of the major awards, the Saturn Awards. The fact that it won three Saturn Awards to me is kind of yeah. a big deal. Yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, and, and, and like up against, um, like, I think television series also was with Buffy, which you're going up against right. the final season, right. which is fairly well liked, like mm-hmm. among Buffy people. So, like, mm-hmm. not, um, not necessarily a, a slump thing, but again, is that season four or season five that they're sure. looking at there? Sure. And I, I mean, I can give my guess as to what they're looking at, but we don't actually know. So let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Yes. Yeah. Throw in here. Or, or at the least say it's, it's both. They're taking the whole year into account until we, until we specifically hear otherwise, we have to assume that it encompasses Right. both halves of those two seasons so yeah um yeah um, and there's always there's always those things where you look for some acclaim for a really well-received episode and it's not there and then you see an a, an award nomination for something that you're like really that one so 
Um, you do get those weird little, yeah. you know. I mean, uh, I mean, I just, whatever. We're all going to agree on what deserves an award anyway. But even within that, like, there are definitely those anomalies that are hard yeah. to. The voting bodies can be very, you know, strange. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do want to throw in one other just sort of incidental production note. The final uh, episode, Home, written by, written and directed by Tim Minear, actually aired on May 7th, 2003. So um, we're actually recording uh, our podcast episode here on May 7th, 2018. So uh, 15 years ago today, wow. uh, the final episode of season four aired. Um, and I don't, I mean, we've had other sort of like episodes maybe that were like aired on the same day like this before, but like. I don't think it's sort of lined up that well with kind of the end of the season or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. A, a funny little uh, happenstance. So 15 um, years since... Uh, since Con Connor lost Connor, his memory. I was just going to say, since Connor had his memory wiped, where is he now? <laughs> and they, and he became an advertising executive, apparently. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. That's funny. Um, all, all of that said, um, yeah, there's a lot of movement going on. Again, the award stuff we, we can mention. Um, but I think, you know, I, I do find it interesting sort of the way that the episodes um, lay out here. And maybe like when we look at it, like after taking a step back and kind of seeing what happens, it, it is kind of interesting to see how the structure of the season really for the first seven or so episodes um six to seven i guess it's really the seventh where uh which is apocalypse now-ish which is where the beast sort of emerges um where you get like the first third or so of the season um being this like one-off not procedural exactly but you know episodic certainly um you know kind of season and then um, the sort of middle third, if we can call it that, um, having this whole sort of beast arc, and then the the last third or so, um, they don't break down exactly into thirds, but I'm calling them yeah. that, um, being the whole, like, Angelus, Jasmine birth, you know, peace and love and happiness until you get... If we we will set kind of the final episode, the finale off as its own thing, I think. But like, you know, up to peace out anyway, kind of like the Jasmine arc of the season. Right. right. Um, and so yeah. what. Yeah. Did you want to talk about we kind of picked our favorite episodes that yeah. correspond to these chunks. So. So uh, I, have a, I, I had a tough time with this, um, as you know, already, because we've already gone through picking what our episodes are and like i kind of had a tough time going back and forth because like i think typically i do tend to favor i well i'm just saying this without going back and analyzing what my favorite episodes from pre previous seasons are i do think i tend to favor the ones that are sort of like important in the seasonal arc although like i'm sure it's true that like i've also picked ones that didn't fit that state before sure this time, though, and maybe it's because I don't really particularly like the seasonal art, um, I I kind of opted for something in that sort of first third of 
the more episodic episodes. And so in thinking it through a little bit, I wanted to go with ground state. Um, although I could have also picked the house always wins. Cause like a episode that features Lauren singing a lot, mm-hmm. like it's hard to go wrong there, but um, I like ground state um, in particular. Cause I, I like Gwen as a character. I think she was a really interesting addition to the angel cast. And I feel like we get with ground state, the promise of like this character that, could be sort of uh, a new, you know, providing sort of a new um, uh, facet or, you know, um, dynamic into the Angel investigative team. Even if it's like as an ally, not necessarily like a static part of the team, static uh, uh, part of the team. Mm -hmm. Um, And so at least at this point, until until you realize like by the third episode that you see her and that you're never going to see her again <laughs> like at least at this point like i feel like there's some character building and the way that she interacts with angel and sort of his having just been pulled out of you know the ocean after however long and kind of his feelings for you know being alone and trying to get back into the game and that kind of thing and her uh you know, sort of status as a loner and someone who maybe can understand for different reasons, but in a lot of similar ways, the, you know, being severed from other people and um, not being able to sort of have the intimacy that others have. Um, And I think, while there's certainly some flirting and stuff going on between them, I think they do it largely in a way that's not just like new romantic interest at least mm-hmm. wholly, you know, like what I mean there. Yeah. Um, especially considering like the romantic interest ends up being between Gwen and Gunn. So like, yeah. you know, ultimately, you know, by the time we get to the end of her arc. Um, and so while I think um, uh, Alexa Davalos gets better as an actor by the time she gets to, you know, um, Man in the High Castle, like, I think she's still pretty good, like, for Angel here. Like, she's mm-hmm. not a terrible actress or anything. Like, she, um, I think, gets across maybe a little more dramatic than necessary at times. But, like, I think, um, yeah, I, th- I think overall I just, I like the story. I like the promise of the character. I like, um, yeah, just the, the the way that they can bring in someone new and kind of... Um, have her interact with Angel and, and the rest of the team in, in sort of a new and, and fresh way. Especially, yeah. especially given, and again, all this was unfolding in real time, so they couldn't predict what they were going to do in the next few months, but um, have when you realize there's, um, I mean, the, the male-to-female ratio is already imbalanced and you realize it's becoming more so in terms of the regular Mm. actors on the show i mean you have you know lila sort of comes in and out you know on a guest actor basis faith shows up for her two or three episodes or whatever she does and and then she's off and it's really just you know you realize you know when 
again, assuming that this is functionally the end of Cordy's arc, you realize that Fred is really the only main female role. In, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, so then to have kind of a character that had a certain amount of promise who, you know, they don't end up utilizing is just one of those, huh, like, I wonder why they didn't sort of take that up, take up that opportunity when they had the chance. Um, and I hadn't really thought of the connection to Cordy and their storylines, but there's a similar kind of unresolved nature to them where when she, you know, when Gwen gets together with Gunn, that again seems like it's going to be the beginning of a whole new story arc, you know, or relationship for him. Like this is a new complication in his reconciliation with Fred. Um, And it turns out. And then it's just not, (laughs) just, not it's just you know and yeah like again not that like the love triangle is the most exciting or original like storyline ever but it would have been an introduction of someone new and and someone who had other potential besides just being like you said she wasn't introduced just purely as here's the new love interest right there were she had a storyline of her own with her own you know, dark backstory like the others have and her own sort of demons and and her own trauma and things that she's working towards. Right. But she she could have, and she could have like brought all that, not just like the romantic chemistry, but brought all that stuff with her into the main series if she'd stuck around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And were you starting to say was maybe I stepped over what you were starting to say, but she's competent too. Like she would have made a good fit for yeah the team in the sense that she knows she has particular skills like they all have. She knows what she's doing um, and can handle herself and is basically a good guy, but with the same kind of personal demons and hangups that they have. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it, it is kind of puzzling when you think about it. Like, it seems like she was designed to fill a void in the show. And so it's kind of funny that that's not what ends up happening. Yeah. I mean, right. And, and her, like, she was a great character. Like, like, you know, someone who maybe is at heart a good person, but kind of through circumstance and, you know, I mean, decision, but like, not you know, she's not someone who just like goes out and steals for the heck of it. It's, you know, to make a living for herself or whatever. And you can sort of understand why she does feel the way that she does towards people because like she's sort of been shunned and literally hurts everyone that she touches. And, you know, like, I think there's some good opportunity there for, yeah, lots of character exploration. And when we get her in other episodes, um, I think we get that exploration to, to some degree or other. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, props to Mare Smith for like sort of writing her character and then writing her again into uh, Long Day's Journey. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, 
she never sort of sparks any bigger storyline than those uh uh i mean she comes back once you know again in um you know when when she and mm-hmm. gun you know go out to kind of steal the whatever it is they go to steal but yeah i i, I feel like at least with ground state it's like oh you know it's early in the season angel's back here's a new character like not that I necessarily think the entire season will be like based on this character or whatever, but it's, you know, this new opportunity. And then it's like, we don't see her again for seven episodes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Okay. Well, you know, whatever. But yeah. at least with that episode, like, I feel like it's a good, it's a good one-off episode to kind of get you back, get you kind of, you know, back into the groove and like introducing a new person and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. And, and like, someone who you can see like really working with the team. Um, but then yeah. they move a different direction. Yeah. Um, I don't, so kind of before we get into your episode, which I feel like it's more into the second third of the uh, season. Any, are there any other ones you want to sort of point out maybe in these first like five or six ish episodes? Um, there's kind of the there, there's the spin the bottle, which is like mm-hmm. uh, the Tabula Rasa episode of Angel, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. or I mean, Tabula Rasa in Buffy, like it's, right. it, you know, they all lose their memory and kind of go back to being, yeah. you know, teenagers or at least, you know, before a certain period. I mean, even there where it's the Joss Whedon episode and like the big comedy episode I don't feel like it's the strongest of that genre you know either in Buffy or in even in Angel um Mm. you know like I I feel like I don't know what that is again I'm critiquing to say it's the distraction or whatever but um but even there I felt like there wasn't as much other than just the you know, the laughs you get from seeing them do silly things. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember feeling like there wasn't as much to sort of grab onto in terms of what did that, what's the significance of this for the characters? Like, is this presenting the, presenting them to us in a way that we haven't thought of before um, or right. made us consider something in a way that sort of, sheds light on their current situation or foreshadows something like I don't really remember that it you know particularly does that um so yeah even and so maybe I can kind of transition to uh my choice um because so you mentioned that you you know your sense is that you generally try to pick the big like the you know the significant episodes like you like the ones with larger arc import um and i feel like both of us when we're not choosing those episodes the other kind of episode we're choosing is the like concept episode like the mm. it could be a very one off but it's something with a very sure. memorable structural twist to it that sets it apart that makes it something not like anything else. Um, And, you know, maybe 
maybe spin the bottle gestures toward that. I don't think it quite is memorable or fun enough to get there. Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely a memorable concept of, you know, being reverted to their sort of high school selves. Um, but it's not like the most successful. Um, the one that in this season, I feel like does the best job of that is the one that I chose, which is Awakening. Um, so that is kind of smack in the middle of this, or I guess towards the beginning of this uh, beast arc, which is the whole center point of the season. But I don't feel like that's why I like it. It's not like I didn't choose it for the big arc, you know, important, like this is the moment when this thing happens. I mean, Angel loses his soul. So there is that huge arc significant moment. Um, but I think what, what stuck with me was more, and what I liked at the time was more the playing around with the, the, tropes and the audience expectations of having something you can watch multiple times and read in different ways once you know that mm -hmm. he's already lost his soul in the beginning and this is all just his sort of mind journey through uh you know the the twists and turns of his brain as he's sort of telling himself this little fantasy um and the way that that plays with genre expectations of like oh there's this sword that we need so like right. you know they're kind of like let's let's show angel's sort of romanticism of what he you know in his daydream what he imagines is mm -hmm. going to be the the heroic storyline um and conveniences about how well it's only one place on earth but we just happen to have a portal to it right here you know and right and, all that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's one that like, I enjoyed it on the first watch when I was like waiting for the monster to come at any second. And you're sort of trying to figure out, trying to like beat the episode and see where it's going to get you. And then on second watch, going back and kind of enjoying the way that they mislead you and all the red herrings and everything. Yeah. Um, so like as a, as a, it's a little more subtle. It's like hard. It's harder to explain. But as a concept of all the ones this season, I feel like that's the one that has like the most ambitious sort of idea behind it. Um, yeah. 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 Which I... helps, you know, uh, alleviate some of the less than exciting like if there are aspects of the beast storyline that aren't that compelling, I don't think that episode is really about that. Like it is about, no. okay, we have to remove Angel's soul in order to get this information. So ultimately that's what they're going for. But the episode itself is focused on other things. It's not just about like, all right, let's get this information or it's not about the exposition or about moving the character chess pieces around the board or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That is a sort of fun episode. Um, and definitely does play on those sort of like fantasy quest tropes, um, which, 
yeah, like, like it is kind of funny too to think that like when we get like if you sort of couple it with like the other things we know about sort of Angel or you know even maybe like Liam's personality of like he's actually just kind of your your basic like not real deep thinker <laughs> like you know what I mean like like yeah. of course he just sort of likes the the standard like. I need to go find a sword to kill the beast. <laughs> like, like that's, that's right. just how, how much more basic in a, like if he could just do that and get the girl and like, right. you know, save the day, like, you know, it's not asking for a lot, I guess. <laughs> like, right. it's, and, it's just and... a very uncomplicated sort of um, thing that he wants to be truly happy. <laughs> right. And for all his brooding bitterness and cynicism about life and their their battles and his past and you know what it all means like you know his ideas are very romantic and he sees himself as the hero you know that's kind of really all it like is he really that cynical when if you set his mind loose to daydream what he thinks the a likely scenario would be. Um, this is what he comes up with. Like, you know, how, how deep does his cynicism really go? Um, so it's just, it's that funny. I think the angel character works well when they play with those contrasts, you know, especially like in the angel, the series, once they started to kind of balance the darkness with some of the like the humor and you know you're allowed to sort of make fun of him a little bit um I think like this episode kind of gets at that of all right like there's this very cynical exterior but let's see what kind of story his brain spins when you sort of let it do its thing so yeah yeah so I mean yeah, and the beast is, you know, the beast in that middle chunk of the season. Um, I don't know that, yeah. you know, there's a ton more to say about, I mean, were there any other of those middle episodes that jumped out to you as being more or less interesting than the rest of the pack? No, I don't think so honestly i mean i think i mean there's a lot of um it's just a lot of the beast running around really and killing people right like i mean there's like wolfram and hart and everyone gets killed and then there's like you know he blots out the sun and you know kills a lot of people and then mm -hmm. like you know, we're learning stuff about Cordy and Connor at this point, and I think Right, so that's dragging everything down too. There's that and 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 then finding out that like Cordy is controlling the beast and so you're trying to figure out like, oh, what's really going on with her and you know <coughs> trying to figure that stuff out, but I don't I do think a lot of it drags on. And I think yeah, I don't I don't really have a lot to say about like all of that sort of beast stuff because it it is 
essentially, you know, a, a fake big bad. It's a, a red herring. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, like, he sort of tells us that. So we're also kind of like, okay, well, the beast isn't working for the real big bad. And is, I mean, not that there's not some mystery and, you know, question there, but like, we also find out fairly quickly that it's Cordy and, or, you know, something inhabiting Cordy's body. And so like, I feel like even like once you find that out, it's kind of like the beast has done his job, but then he sort of, you know, like a, like a, you know, third wheel hangs around too long maybe Mm -hmm. and just kind of, okay, like we're done with you. You can go away now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, which he does. I mean, they, so they end up killing him. They bring back faith. Um, and then kind of move into this new phase of the season with Jasmine and her birth. Um, I don't know how much we want to talk through it now, like, because we've just kind of gone through, a, you know, a bunch of those episodes, like, recently. Yeah. Um, I guess I would just say, like, looking back to, like, the actual birth, like, like, the actual birth there with, you know, Jasmine, uh, you know coming and like right as um angels about to uh uh you know attack her like there's um there she is and and he sort of stopped right so mm-hmm. um any anything to sort of talk through like with the jasmine stuff because jasmine arc isn't really that long it's only like four four episodes I know. yeah One, um two, three, yeah four yeah four and then the finale so yeah yeah um no so maybe here we can maybe you can do your finally tell me what the heck went on behind the scenes because it's really i mean Jasmine's arrival signals Cordy's exit from the story. Yeah. Um, She's in a coma like she the rest is of the being, time. Yeah. Literally. So she is being built up with the Beast to be this important player. Um, and then it just switches, like, with no sort of mm-hmm. warning. Um and to be honest, not that I was even that big a fan of her being like, I, I don't know, Cordy as the the beast master wasn't the most compelling thing for her character to begin with, in my opinion. Um, I don't know. And I don't know something about, I, I, I never felt like, you know, whether it was the writing or the acting or what, it, I never really felt like it dialed into you know maybe the fact that they tried to keep it hidden so she couldn't keep play it too differently from regular Cordy so there was just always the sense of like not being quite sure what they were going for but at least like she was doing something at least like she's like in the show right right um so yeah I I am we've been talking about this for like a year so I'm very curious sure. <laughs> to hear um yeah some, and well and hopefully I haven't built story. it up built it up too much but like i mean the long and short of it is that is that she got pregnant and um 
it changed a number of things. And so I'm going to sort of run through rather quickly because, I mean, we're probably going to go over our hour, you know, for this ep part of the episode. But um, I'll try to go through at least a little bit quickly some of the different things that have been written and said and, um, you know, by various people over the years. And I'm going to start with um, Joss Whedon's commentary, actually, from the Spin the Bottle episode. Um, and so there's um, about 36 minutes into the episode. Um, there's like a, a bit between Cordy and Connor. And he says, you know, this is leading up to the fact that we knew they were going to have sex in the next episode, even though they're not themselves, or at least she's not herself. We were sort of forced into that basically because Charisma herself had become pregnant. And so we were like, we had to have an arc for them and we had to sort of, and so we sort of just moved everything up much quicker. Um, things had to happen faster. So by the end of the next episode, things were so bad that they thought they were going to die. And we sort of foreshadowed it here. I mean, I, you know, you can try to figure out timelines. I mean, I mentioned, um, that in the filming of the final episode was right after Cordy gave birth. Um, you know, I, I don't, you could backtrack that out nine months or so and like mm -hmm. figure out like, okay, like how much is this? But again, I mean, Joss is recording this commentary after the fact. So is it exactly what happened? I mean, right. it sort of is uh, contradicted a little bit actually by Tim Minear and David Fury. Um, because we didn't saying like, oh man, like we suddenly had to change all this stuff. Whereas there, they're saying yes we had to change stuff but we had a bit more time and so um, they're just like saying it, we had to compress it we had to like set things in motion sure that sort of they might have already been sort of thinking about doing but they um, changed the timeline of it so in may for uh, on may 14th 2003 david fury and tim minear um gave an uh an interview to uh, the Succubus Club, um, which is rather, it's like a two hour long interview. Um, definitely worth listening to, but spoilery for season five. So you might not want to like, mm -hmm. you know, listen to it until we're kind of into it. But yeah. um, this is a week after this season finale aired, right? So like they're saying, um, so David Fury says the whole Jasmine arc was an offshoot um, of of discovering that charisma was pregnant. We knew she was going to be the big bad of the season, but we didn't know what we were going to do. Um, he said, we, we knew that before the pregnancy about her being the big bad. So there was, there was some sense that they were going to have her come back and it wasn't going to be her. Mm -hmm. What they didn't know was about all of the, uh, he says, what we didn't know was how we were going to climax the season with a woman who's nine months pregnant fighting Angel. So it sounds like there that he's saying that like it was like it would legitimately have been Cordy the whole time just mm -hmm. as this big bad. And like she and Angel would have this like, you know, rock'em sock'em dukes up, you know, fight. Mm -hmm. um, but that they couldn't do that with a pregnant lady. And so that basically you know knowing that she would be giving birth around the time you know around the end of the season they came up with this idea of um initially having the beast and i guess sort of exploring that idea 
and then having the idea that maybe it would be Jasmine and, and the whole world peace thing and that she would be, um, you know, she would actually be the big bad. And so it kind of sounds, it sounds a little more organic. With, with Whedon, it sounds like we had this plan and now we just had to like change it because we found out that she was pregnant and like we just kind of had to like shift things around and like... Mm-hmm. You know, but like Tim Minear and and David Fury go on to say, like, um, uh, sorry, I'm just trying to look because it's a rather lengthy part that I have quoted out here. Um, basically, they ask her, like, uh, the the interview asks if there would have been any pregnancy story at all if Charisma Carpenter hadn't gotten pregnant. And and they basically both say no. We definitely David Fury says we definitely wouldn't have done the pregnancy story. And then Tim Minear says, Well, certainly we wouldn't have, because we just did one with Darla the, the year before. Mm-hmm. And so um now there is that one episode where you have sort of, you know, Darla and Cordy slash Jasmine, you know, um kind of fighting for Connor's soul, right? Like um, or you know what whatever it whatever spirit it is that is portraying Darla or whatever. Um, but that was like that was like a patchwork. That was like an add-on. Like that wasn't part sure. of like the original plan. Um, and so, so there's a sense from the writers here, and the I mean neither of them are showrunners at this point, but they're senior writing staff within you know uh, the the Whedon empire. And they're both kind of saying like, no, we didn't have any plans to do this whole pregnancy side of things. And now maybe would there have still been like some manipulation of Connor and, you know, knowing that he loved her and that kind of stuff, like maybe, but you know, it just becomes like a big, a very different thing. It sounds like that it wasn't like to have Cordy as the big bad maybe would, would have been the plan, but it would have gone a very different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so over that summer in 2003, between, you know, season four and season five, there were a few articles um, came out too. And, and they have very similar headlines, things like, will Cordy wake up and, you know, uh, see charisma act, but not on angel and things like this. And what starts to emerge is a bit more of a, if maybe not sinister, certainly not um, good sounding story mm-hmm. where, where basically it sounds like charisma Carpenter didn't even know whether or not she was coming back to the show. And um, what ends up happening is that the cast comes back together in late July to start filming season five and she's simply never called. And um, in an interview in, in the Boston Herald interview, the the one about seeing charisma act, but not an angel. Um, she says, I, I was not prepared. I didn't think, I don't think you're ever prepared for that kind of situation. Seven years is a long time. I started the show to not be finishing. It is a pretty big deal for me. They went back to work on July 4th. And on that day, I thought, oh, today is my, officially my first day of unemployment. Um, she she said, I haven't heard anything, though. As we speak today, there are no plans for me to come back. And, like, literally no one just ever told her, 
what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, which obviously seems like it could be problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for a number of years, she was kind of closed off. I mean, she had like some few interviews like that, but mostly closed off. But then in um, 2009, she was part of a Dragon Con panel with um, Julie Benz, so um, Darla, right? And um, uh, Felicia Day and um, Christy Swanson, who played the Buffy in the original movie. Um and I mean, it, it, there's a really long answer that she gives, but basically uh, she says that she thinks the reason that she didn't come back was because she got pregnant and that her relationship with Joss had become strained because of becoming pre- pregnant. And she said, um, she says, I guess in his mind, he had a different way of seeing the season go in the fourth season. Um she said, she said, it was my least favorite season, actually. I did not understand the relationship with Connor. Um, and, like, there's, like, a bunch of applause and laughter. And Julie Ben says, well, I didn't approve of it either. And there's, you know, a lot of people laughing. Um, but she, she goes on to, like, tell this story about how basically she thinks that Joss was mad at her. And this is her own interpretation, of course. Um, and it does sound like they've since talked and at least open the door for potentially working together again. Although as of now, like almost 10 years after this particular appearance and, and what she's saying here, like, I don't think they've ever done anything again since Mm -hmm. then. Um, And basically just kind of saying that, like, it seemed that she was very um, frustrated and upset and like, didn't really know at the time why, uh, you know, why things were happening the way they were and that there was no communication and that it just seemed that they were really mad at her for, or at least Joss was really mad at her and kind of shut her out for being mm-hmm. pregnant. And, um, you know, which is problematic. And and given sort of the reveals of maybe some of Joss's character through things like, you know, the article that his wife or ex-wife, you know, uh, Kai Cole wrote, um, just even as we were kind of going through this season, <laughs> um, like it's it's hard to like look at that and look at the things that Prisma Carpenter is saying and say like, unfortunately, that sounds very much like a thing that maybe maybe mm-hmm. Joss did. And I mean, not that I would disbelieve her anyway, but like, just that like there's even more evidence now that like things mm-hmm. just didn't, you know that Joss was maybe very difficult to work with and, and getting on his bad side kind of maybe meant that you don't have a job anymore. Um, and so, um, right. Which is the real kicker because, you know, sometimes your plans don't work out or something doesn't turn out well as you think it will, or, you know, we can agree that the season is the weakest, but like, that's no reason to take it out on someone personally, especially when it's for something like, yeah, they got pregnant and couldn't work full time while they were like in their third trimester. And so it's like, okay, it probably would have negatively um, impacted the quality of the season anyway, just because an unexpected thing happened that you had to course correct. But I could totally see some situation where, she gives birth 
you don't see her again. Not even like these little snippets of her in a coma, just like she's off screen. And then she's brought back next year. Like, well, you know, it's that it, I think what was, what kind of angered me throughout was seeing like these episode after episode of just 30 seconds of her lying there and knowing like, this is someone's like job that you're asking them to just come do this for why? Just to say she's in the episode and then we, and then knowing she's not going to be asked back and then to do it in a way that's, you know, disrespectful of not actually telling someone like, you know, at least have the sort of courage to tell them to their face. Like, right. You know, we're not going to, you know, bring you back next season. Um, And and I I feel like they took a, they took a tough situation and like made it worse. Yeah, like I think ab- some of this absolutely. could have been handled and, and would have improved the storytelling, I think, as well as taking care of your employees. It would have actually like smoothed over some of these edges. Yeah. Right. And like, yeah, if you're making like more people part of the solution too, like there's a chance like maybe someone comes up with a good idea on like a better way to integrate all this. And it's not like, like charisma Carpenter is the first actress to ever get pregnant while, you know, working on a TV show. And I don't, I don't remember like which of these, it it might be in what I copied here because there's still a lot that I haven't read, believe it or not. Um, You know, or it might be in actually some other material that I didn't copy into here. But um, at one point she even says too, like, she's like, you know, I started this show and, and I mean, I think even when we, she was the oldest of the Scoobies at the time, like she was like 30 playing a 16 year old. Right. Like, so, you know, she's like, I, I was on these shows and like mm-hmm. what, eight years, you know, seven, eight years at this point. And, you know, like my, my life was moving on and, and like yeah. you grow and things change and all of that. And like, I mean, okay, so maybe, like, some people, like, leave the show, but it's not, like, like, some of these long-running shows, and, like, this is even longer, because it's, like, backed by three seasons of another show, you know, like, you have these, you know, things that go on, and sometimes you can write that into the show, and sometimes you can't, and, and you have to deal with that, but, you know, that doesn't mean that, like, I don't know, I, I do feel like it was very much, like, I get why, like, a week after the finale, you know, with, like, a new season starting to come up, you get, like, David Fury and Tim Minear kind of trying to put a good spin on it and saying, like, you know, where, you know, where, you know, we did what we could and we didn't really want to go the pregnancy route, but we wanted, you know, we wanted to work with Charisma and kind of this and that. But then it's like, yeah, but then, like, a month later, like, nobody's telling her that she's not coming back. Right. And right. so it's right. like so that story that story would have a lot more weight if yeah if if they kind of had the goods to back it up yeah and then um in August you have Joss in a in an interview like again sort of blaming Cordy like you know uh saying like she went off to have a baby and we haven't we haven't heard from her since and kind of like blaming it on her even a little bit and it's like wait a minute what like there's so there's just like these different like 
yeah. interpretations or takes or, you know, spin or whatever you want to call it on all these different things. And so, I mean, I, you know, I, I tend to believe charisma carpenters like view of things like at least, I mean, certainly like, obviously she felt the way that she says she feels because like that, those are feelings and that's hers to have. But like, even from a more objective standpoint, again, like when people don't tell you that you're not coming back and then suddenly like everyone else is there, but you're not like, Mm -hmm. like, how are you supposed to take that? Like, yeah, you know, that's not just like, you're, you know, when you're like a major character or I mean, your, your character is a major character on the show. And like, at, until like she misses like the one episode that she's not in, like had had more appearances in, you know, straight through from Buffy to Angel than anyone else. And it's just like, right. She's earned some loyalty from the producers here. So, yeah. Um, yeah. All of that to say, we will see Charisma Carpenter again in season five. I won't say when or in what capacity, um, as I've done before. Um, so there's another aspect to this, too, because um, at this point, sort of around the, the season finales and, like, into the summer a little bit, this is, like, minor-y, minor spoilery for Buffy a little bit. But at this point, people know that James Marsters is coming over for season five of Angel. And I don't know if you knew that or not, if you knew that Spike will appear uh, in season five of Angel. Again, I won't tell you when or how or, you know, in what capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, but people at the time knew this. And so I think some of those people, like you were talking before about, like, the male to female ratio. Like, that's not making that ratio any better, right? No. Like, and and so I think people were kind of looking at that as, like, is he replacing charisma? Like, as, like, the new... uh you know, other person, like, in the group, or, like, what? I mean, at this point, again, like, people don't really know what it is, so I won't say what exactly he comes over to do, but, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it just becomes, like, it it adds more fuel to sort of that fire, and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, now sort of knowing Charisma not coming back, and, and Marsters is, you know, coming over, like, just kind of increases some of those, um, right questions and and conversations a bit right that's not whatever spike is going to do it's not doesn't seem like something that could address again this sort of void right. that cordy leaves behind well um, well and also like even other even than the, like oh he's an old buffy character right yeah. right even thinking back to um the season finale there where we were talking um Oh, and I forget who it was we said it, where they were saying, like, you know, we're we're basically, you know, by saying, like, take the deal, we were telling the network to take the deal. And part of it was that, like, there was some expansion that they wanted to do. And it's like, well, but you're getting rid of one of your longest running characters. Mm-hmm. So, again, like, there's just there's just a disconnect in kind of the way that, like, different people talked about it and mm-hmm. what was going on and kind of what the purpose of, like, the shakeup was. You know, to have you have this like bigger Wolfram Hart like set now and like all of these things, but then you're like getting rid of like this major character <laughs> in the show with like needlessly, it seems. Right. Um, right. 
Or, right. you know, it's because you're mad that... at them because they right. got pregnant. <laughs> right. Right. Not for, not for good reasons. Right. There are plenty of good reasons that actors and characters leave shows, but I, I, we're not seeing a lot of them in this situation. Um, yeah. Well, that's a shame. Yeah. It kind of sucks that that's the way it went down for her, you know? Mm -hmm. Which is the sure. thing, is, is that power dynamic. Like, the show... It might be poorer without her in terms of the, the narrative satisfaction or the quality. But basically, like, her leaving doesn't hurt the, the... The show has enough things in it that, like, you know, it's more damaging to her to sort of be left than mm -hmm. it is for Joss or the producers or the show itself, you know? And... Yeah. Yeah, which is, I think, what makes these abuses of power kind of frustrating. Um, you know, cause Joss can talk about how he felt angry or disappointed or, but like ultimately like he's the one with all the power, you know? Um, mm -hmm. and yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, she... and to the detriment of everything. You know, to the detriment of the storyline as well as, you know, their personal relationship and her career and, you know, like, it was just a kind of a dumb, you know, uh, given that we really don't know what all happened. You know, this is a lot of people trying to, you know, uh, equivocate and justify after the fact. So... Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's being very polite in these interviews is the sense that you get, you know, I'm sure you know, who knows what, what their more emotional feelings were at the time, but. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, like she never really goes on to like do any, well, I shouldn't say she doesn't go on to do anything more. She does have, um, a couple things we can note. I mean, I, I, I hate to sort of talk about it this way, but it's a major person leaving the show. So we should probably kind of like say, what does she do next? And yeah. like, it's a lot of like single episode, like stuff, some TV film, you know, TV movies and that kind of thing. Um, she does notably go on to uh, have a role, a recurring role, um, not a starring role um, in, uh, the Lying Game, uh, which is a short-lived uh, two-season TV series. Um, I, I'm not familiar with it, but um, maybe others are. And then um, she produced and hosted uh, a series, a uh, 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 sort of crime series called um, Surviving Evil that sort of is based on her own um, experience with an attempted rape Um and like talks to and hosts the show and 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 includes like other stories like hers of sort of those survivor um stories in situations like that um but certainly not um mm -hmm. sort of headlining any tv shows after that um like she was there with with angel mm -hmm. um so yeah, yeah. and you have I mean, to 
you have to wonder to what, like, I don't, you know, I'm not suggesting, we don't know, like, if there was any, like, intentional negative effects to her career, but probably, at the very least, you know, there were implied repercussions to that, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah. And, you know, right, I, I, you know, whether Joss is Harvey Weinstein, like, literally calling people and telling people not to hire someone like that might be you know a stretch given we don't have evidence for that but you know just by sort of letting her go in that way mm -hmm. i feel like it sends a message yeah um, oh and and i can't believe i forgot this too she did appear in a number of veronica mars episodes but uh, okay um just i because i that show i should have remembered that but um just just scanning down through her wikipedia to make sure i didn't forget anything else but like yeah i mean it n certainly not an, any other role like she had there and i mean you can't say it's because of her acting you know and stuff like she's a good actress and mm -hmm. like she she definitely took a character you know that was one way you know, in the beginning and, you know, a hundred and however many episodes later, like ended up in a completely different place. Like mm -hmm. that's not an easy thing to do and not something that any, just any old person can do. So, I mean, you know, it's unfortunate. I mean, she, she has had steady work. Like, I don't want to make it be like, Oh, she's had, you know, been dire. Like, I mean, she, mm -hmm. she's had a steady stream, but again, yeah, they're yeah. all like sort of individual episodes and, TV show, you know, TV films and like that type of thing. Like, right, no nothing. other like main cast regulars right. on anything. Yeah. Well, it's good to see. I mean, she does have a lot of credits on here, so yeah, she's working at least. That's good. right. Right. I didn't mean it to be like she's destitute or anything. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. not. You know, I don't mean it that way. But uh, anyway. Yeah. Cool. Well. On that note. On that note, anything else to wrap up before we put I this mean, season to rest and uh, thankfully move on to? Maybe well, like I don't know. I don't know that the fifth season's any better. To be honest with you, I don't know what the reputation is. So maybe like yeah. So I, I mean that's why I'm we kind could of be going about, from I, the frying pan into the fire. I feel like with with most of the seasons, like we kind of have a hint of what's coming up in the next season, but this one, I mean, I mean, I guess you do kind of like, as far as you know, that they're, they took the deal with Wolfram and Hart, mm -hmm. but like, we don't know how that changes the show mm -hmm. going forward. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Good, good question. We'll have to we'll have to pay attention to all that. Um, no, I I think we can safely um, be like Connor and maybe forget about what's happened before now. Um, and uh, and him along yeah, with move, it, move forward. Yeah, um, he you know Vincent goes on to do other and better he's, things. He's got Mad Men. He's fine. Yeah, he like he's he's he'll be all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, so let's move into Doctor. And I'm I I'm sorry because I feel like I've spent a ton of time like talking like the first 
hour. And so, um, yeah, like I know I'm going to kind of lead us through this discussion too, but I I will That's okay. be happy happy to hear a lot of what you have to say as I well. Will, I will interject to give your voice a break. Um, yeah. So wanted to start out with the situation again. So we're, it's not entirely clear, like in the beginning that we're following off, you know, pretty much from the previous episode. Cause it's like, it's a very different aesthetic, right? Like it's sort mm-hmm. of outdoors and there's clouds, even if they're sort of simulated clouds and uh, fields and, you know, growing things, yeah. um, not, you know, dark and dreary you know robot machinery industrial city type stuff yeah moffat to the end of his doctor who tenure retaining the lesson that he said he learned from his very first two-parter back in season one where they pick up in part two of the doctor dances exactly where they left off they're surrounded by the you know the masked kids the masked yeah and and it's you know how are we going to get out of this and he kind of had this revelation that that's no way to start part two you have to start uh somewhere new like in a different situation and then work your way back in and faithfully he's never done that again like part two always picks up in a completely random scenario where you have no idea how this relates to the first part so um, I kind of like that that's such a, like, obvious little trick here of, like, you know, you, you were in disaster with Bill having just been converted. So now, like, let's have, like, a beautiful, like, Cotswolds farm, you know? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. clearly that's where we're going to start. Yeah. Um, and every, the first time I saw it, I don't know if you felt this way, but starting with the little girl who you know we can talk about in her relation to bill and everything i thought was bill because she looks so much like her with Mm. you know her kind of curly hair and everything um interesting i so you you thought this was like a flashback to bill's childhood or something something like that like where okay like and then you realize it's not because pretty quickly you get like the cyber scarecrows and all that kind of thing or or even if you're not sure you're trying to figure out like is this a dream is this like what is this but i feel i wonder if they cast her for that reason to kind of like throw Mm -hmm. you off into or maybe it's just that they wanted there to be some sort of physical resemblance between them i don't know um but anyway it always surprises me when i watch the beginning of that episode and i see that girl and and I remember, like, oh forgot. yeah, this, this <laughs> I almost kind of do. Like, I, I like. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I haven't seen that episode this that many times since it's not that old, but right. Um, it is like it. It always surprises me when it starts where it does, because you just sort of forget that that's sort of where it's going, hmm. and just visually it breaks it up. It's like, yeah. all right, let's get them outside. where there's some sunshine and grass and color and everything yeah um right so so you mentioned like the farms and uh right it's outside ish um still in the spaceship but you know outside 
and you get the um yeah the 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 cybermen who they sort of like i guess they're sort of coming in small waves at this point they're just kind Mm -hmm. of like seeping through i guess and you know uh they're like killing them and then using them as scarecrows um i guess to scare off other cybermen is that the intent like i'm not like are there actually like who would who would like create a spaceship i mean maybe maybe or would crows be essential to that environment i guess like even yeah, if they're sort of like we see any crows pests, to be honest. you know to who like want to eat the corn but we still need them because like i don't they provide fertilizer or something maybe i don't know like it's an interesting uh uh thing like so the only other option there is like that they're they're trying to use the cybermen to like scare off the other cybermen um clearly not working yeah um they just sort of keep coming in these like small waves um also given the size of this place i guess i'm not clear like like we do see a group of like the resistance fighters at one point but is this are we meant to think that this is like a central pocket but maybe there's others like spread throughout the ship because it i think the the other stark contrast is not just from like the light and dark and like city to country it's like overpopulation to like no mm. population mm-hmm. um which is you know a city to rural thing like you you go out in the country and yeah there are fewer people further between um so i, I like i guess i'm not i don't have a clear sense of like yeah, what, how many people are in this kind of area? Um, yeah, I don't know that I do either, really. I mean, there's some line about um, them keeping the kids here as sort of protection. Like, that this is, like, so the, the implication being that they're from somewhere else or their parents are somewhere else. Like, this right. is the camp that's sort of protecting the children so yeah to me that that implies that there are other groups further out somewhere um like when when nardole leads his little band of refugees into the tunnel my impression isn't that that's all that remains of the you know unconverted humanity on the ship but i don't feel like that's ever really made clear exactly like I mean, they're further down in the ship than the cockpit, so they've had time to procreate and have, like, generations of people. So, like, it would seem kind of weird if this was all that was left. Sure. Although maybe a lot of people have been killed, and this is all that's left. So it's hard to, I don't think they ever really say one way or the other. Um, so yeah, so there, you you know, you're getting these sort of breakthroughs and then, so that's where, you know, we open with, uh, Cyber Bill, uh, coming through with the doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's, that's the situation, as I said, this, this is all, and presumably this is all part of Operation Exodus, which we heard about 
previously of mm-hmm. um, the upgraded humans, you know, moving into higher levels of the ship. Um, one to find other humans to upgrade, and also to like find more space and mm-hmm. have more resources and that type of thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I mean, we don't need to. I feel like there's more interesting stuff with the characters to get into. We don't have to like go through every plot detail, but just to kind of note that playing still with the time sort of dilation that um, they're evolving. So when they kind of go up to upper decks, then you start to see the newer models come through because they've had like a hundred years to, you know, create like new modeled, you know, weapon grade things and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah. So you get like every version of the Cybermen in one story, <laughs> basically. Um, it's, it's a good excuse to pull out the old, old Cybermen costumes of every variety. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, so one of the things that surprised me a little bit, you mentioned this sort of being where they leave the kids. And the kids are sort of part of the action, right? Um, so Nardal is sort of seems to be like the head of the resistance, or at least like the uh, sort of militial head of the mm-hmm. resistance. And he uh, he's not above like using kids to throw a few bombs. <laughs> um, no. no, he's not. Which is... I mean, that's interesting to me. Like, I wasn't really expecting that. I feel like that sort of thing, you know, having having kids, like, carrying explosives and stuff is, like, the kind of thing that maybe you see in sort of third world countries that, you know, where there's a fight between, you know, sort of resistance groups and the primary government or, like, two warring factions or whatever mm-hmm. um there might be um, right, like the whole child soldier idea and everything yeah yeah so yeah i don't i mean i don't know how i feel about nardal giving bombs to kids um mm-hmm. entirely but it certainly certainly wasn't expected um mm-hmm. the first time that i watched it uh well and even the fact that like they're shaped like apples and it's turned into a kind of like game and everything. Yeah. Um, sure. Sure. Um, I don't really have much else to say with Nardal. Um, there's some flirtation going on there. Uh, yep. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is kind of his send off, right? Like, yeah, well, I just meant, I meant like plot wise, I guess. Like, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm just saying we might as well do his kind of, because I don't, I mean, he, he's around, but he's not like involved in the other Bill and Masters sort of storylines. So we might as well sort of do his sort of goodbye, uh, his his last argument with the doctor. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you think of his goodbye argument with the doctor? 
I mean. Yeah, I like. We've come a long way from him, like, you know, being the sort of naggy, you know, you have to like tend to the vault mm -hmm. days, right? Um, I I don't know. I like on the one hand, like, I don't know that it's that surprising. Like he he seems to always be arguing with the doctor about something. Mm -hmm. So like. It would feel weird if, like, he wasn't arguing right up to the very end, I guess. Right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's also, like, like, you're never going to win an argument with the doctor where, like, the doctor chooses to be more heroic than everyone else, right? Um, well, and, and, yeah, the reversal being that maybe Nardole's job is the more hero heroic one, you know? Well, like, I, sure. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. In some ways, I feel like it's kind of a return to naggy sort of Nardole because it's this idea of somebody has to stick with the, you know, sit and babysit the humans and the kids and who's going to stick around longer to do that. Um, you know, and I think, like, if we're going to use the vault as a, a, you know, test case, then maybe Nardole is the one who, while nagging and complaining, will actually do the job that is given to him. Mm -hmm. Rather than the doctor, um, who finds sticking around a bit tough. I mean, sure. I guess, I guess that's what he's getting Re at. Regardless the... of context, just as oh, a yeah. principle. <laughs> no, no, because you know, he would want to stick around. It's not that he doesn't want to protect kids. It's just like, I guess that's what he's getting at with the whole, like, which one of us is stronger thing. Like, yeah, who's, who's actually gonna, like, here's the job that needs to be done. Which one of us is actually going to do it? And, uh. Yeah. So I, I feel like that kind of gestures towards Snardole's, like, I don't know, dedication or something. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily disagree with any of that. Um, anything else with, like, the kids or the resistance groups or no just i mean you kind of pointed out that they're you know they go level to level and kind of try to escape from uh the cybermen who just sort of like keep coming you know maybe after some time but they they sort of inexorably go from level to level to you know try to catch up um right so there's the idea that this is very much a temporary solution yeah well isn't everything <laughs> and well yes 
Um, but that that implicit fact is made explicit here. Like that's that might be always true, but here it's sort of deliberately, you know, they're calling out the fact right. that um like right. they have no way off the ship. There there's a lot of ship, but it's not infinite. Like right. eventually they will get to a place where they can't go right. any further. Right. Yeah. So Bill shows up with the doctor. Mm-hmm. Um sort of hands him off and then like has to stay in like the stable or whatever, like the barn. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh seems uh not to realize her own cyberness. Cybermanishness. Mm-hmm. Cyber- manliness um <laughs> i'm not sure what the like yeah what what the right form is there um yeah and so she sort of has to come to grips with that and gets uh gets some instruction from uh what what's the what's the kid's name the little girl um Alit? A-L-I-T? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, I mean, definitely uh, definitely see what you're saying about sort of like the, the you know, similarity, similarity in looks there. But is... Um, I, I didn't really think about that as as part of the episode. So was there something that you like saw personality wise there either, or was it just sort of like initial like? It was view? just more more of an initial physical resemblance. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I mean Alec has those generic companion like qualities of curiosity and you know bravery and when all the other kids are hiding under their beds um there's Moffat putting people under the bed again um Hmm. and uh (laughs) and like everyone's afraid of things like she's the one that's out there finding out what it's about and you know um right and I mean and, and the fact that like you know, I can't escape, especially in the stuff with where they go on about Bill's anger and the fact that, you know, she can't be angry because it scares people and it's destructive. And, you know, she can't even like hardly walk into a room without people almost shooting her and, you know, being afraid of her, even if she's not, you know, intending any harm. I can't help help but feel that there's some racial overtones there. Mm. Um, especially when she kind of has that realization that it doesn't matter how good she is. People are going to be afraid of her. Um, and yeah. when, you know, the woman almost shoots her and apologizes and, and Bill has to say, it's okay. I understand. Um, so maybe the fact that like Alet, you know, is also, you know, not white like I feel like that adds to that too like when she goes into the barn and kind of says like I I'm not afraid of you um 
you know, and she has some sense of empathy for her. Um, that just seems like significant to me. Um, so yeah, but I don't know that, I mean, we don't really get to know Alec well enough to really say like, oh, she's, you know, like Bill in these other ways, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. Did you have the same sense about like, there being like a metaphor there with I, Bill's I kind of like scariness to all the other people or, um. No, I, I just didn't, I didn't know if you had picked up any, like, I didn't really, I didn't really think about her looking similar to Bill. So I, I was just curious because you brought it up if there was anything more than just sort of the physical resemblance or if you had, if you had other thoughts there. Um, I do think like, you know, you're pointing out that there's sort of like the general, you know, companion qualities um and and with um the older woman there you know saying you know you frighten the children and of course like alice there like she's not frightened and that mm -hmm. kind of thing um i guess those were more of the things that i was thinking of like but you know again like like you said like those are sort of maybe more just like general companion qualities not necessarily things between Alet and Bill specifically. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah. Um, like with Connor, we get some memory problems uh -huh. going on here. Not, not remembering uh, what went on exactly and kind of where she is and how she got there. Um, yeah. Some selective amnesia. And so it's interesting too, when she doesn't sort of recognize like in the first time looking in the mirror, like that she is a Cyberman. Like, mm -hmm. right. not like, like, I don't know, like a lack of like self identification or, or whatever that I almost said self awareness, but that's not quite right what I mean. Like, a lack of like, you know, the ability to sort of correlate, you know. Mm -hmm what she's seeing with what she knows of herself um which is which is a very sort of like oswald thing right like mm -hmm. uh not realizing right. the other that you're, converted person yeah 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 that you're a dalek or whatever um yeah oswin oswin oswald that's yes. what it was. Right. Sorry. Yeah. I, no, I knew yeah. that was wrong. And I was trying to think of like, why did I, what happened there? Like what, what did I say wrong? Um, yes. Oswin. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I don't, I mean, like she gets it eventually. I don't think we need to go through like the different, like the stages of grief of a Cyberman or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Um, like she gets it eventually. And like, it's basically just denial. <laughs> yeah. It's just all denial until yeah. like, you don't, you can't deny anyone. Denial and then anger. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I guess like at that point when she's looking at it and still refuses, I, you have to interpret that as like deliberately not understanding or willfully not understanding what she's seeing. Um, sure. You know, or I do anyway, like it, it, the way it's 
cut implies that she does see a Cyberman there. Right. Um, it's not that she sees her own face reflecting back. It's, but she, it must be a trick of some kind. Like I'm looking into a I video guess, screen or, you know, there's some other explanation yeah. for this. I guess maybe I was thinking that like, maybe there's some kind of programming preventing her from like recognizing but I don't. I mean, that's just well. And how would we know? Because there's no other Cybermen who you can really like talk to. Right. <laughs> They're all like completely taken over by the programming. So maybe they all see themselves as they are, and don't understand why everyone doesn't want to be converted. You know. Mm. Um. That's a really interesting idea. Like if they're like, hey, like. You get to look like yourself and like you'll never die. Like, what's the problem? Maybe they all kind right. of are living in this programmed world where they, you know, don't understand what's happened to them. It's just that Bill is able to talk about it. Like she's a little, she has enough free will left that she can communicate that to the doctor, I guess. Yeah. And even like the sort of mechanism of like, like, she's talking, and, like, when we sort of see her, it's, like, just her talking normally. And and I always take that as sort of, like, like, when we see Bill as Bill, as we know her, right? Like, I always take that as sort of, like, yeah, what, what the Cyberman, like, the Cyberman self-perception there. Like, mm -hmm. when, but then, like, then you cut to, like, the Cyberman actually talking and like saying the things that we just saw Bill say, but like in this slower sort of, you know, robotic Cyberman voice. And so, um, it's, it's so creepy. The cuts between the two, um, you yeah. know, the jarring way that, you know, hearing like her words come out of like that mask is just kind of unsettling. But yeah, I like that idea that, to them, this is kind of what they see all the time. And maybe they don't understand what everybody's problem is. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know that I have a lot more to say about that aspect of it. Um, obviously, so like, like over time, the sort of programming in increases or maybe like so is she like is she continuing to get like further upgrades like is this like like the thing where you're saying like between like moving from deck to deck the cybermen like continue to upgrade so like do you think that's part of what's going on there i i guess i'm not entirely sure why her programming sort of starts taking over more and more I, I kind of saw it more as just her ability to resist is getting weaker. That, like, there's something, you know, fighting for control. You know, that's the comparison to the monks that the doctor makes. Like, mm. you know, that she learned to sort of resist this mind control. But, but there's, like, you know, her human limitations mean that that's not going to be the case forever. So eventually she would be part of the kind of hive mind of everybody else, just sort of blindly attacking 
without any sort of agency on her own, but she's sort of going to stand and fight and resist and go down before that happens. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, that's how I interpreted it. Although maybe, maybe there are software <laughs> upgrades happening in the background that we're not like privy to. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Like some sort of auto update, you know, Wi-Fi right. thing. Right. Right. Like new and improved versions of all her apps are kind of downloading as we speak. Yeah. That's terrible. It's not funny. Um, I want to, we're going to kind of talk about the masters in a minute, but um, I do want to, the masters. Um, That's I the do, two characters, not the golf tournament. Yeah. <laughs> um, or the uh, degree. Um, hmm. I want to at least mention the, we don't get a lot with them, but the little interaction we get between uh the 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 male master the John Sin master and uh and Bill just kind of following up on because that was kind of a sweet little relationship you're led to believe that she had mm. with this strange guy living in the hospital um, sure and like I guess as a contrast to Missy to kind of show for as unpredictable as Missy is showing how different she is from the master um and how like just the way that he absolutely revels in the cruelty to bill um you know and his kind of like mockery of her and like even you know not just like mocking her for her conversion but the fact that he spent those 10 years with her that were just dreadfully dull and boring. And, you know, like everything she's the life she's had for the last 10 years is, has all led to this complete, like bleak dead end. Mm -hmm. Um, and him just kind of like grinding that down. Uh, Yeah. And and the misogyny, which has been there, I feel like with John Sims' master from the beginning. You know, he's the one who had the kind of battered wife, and uh, mm. you know, like I'd forgotten about. I feel that. like that was always, you know, in that character, the his sort of hatred for the women around him. So to kind of have him rail against this you know, the future, which is all girl. Um, sure. It feels kind of appropriate, especially as a contrast to Missy again. Right. Well, and that's, that's the fear, right. That he has is, you know, knowing, knowing that it's coming and not knowing when and how. Um, right. And not even knowing if it's, like, next. Right. Right, because um, we still don't really know that for sure, do we? Um, there could be a, there could yeah, be a couple I mean, in between. But, like, he would never know. 
like John Sims would never, you know, the John Sims master would never know because right. even if that's the case, it would happen after the regeneration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, yeah. it's an interesting Yeah, point. I mean, I mean, we've, you've talked a couple, you've brought up a couple times, like the question of like, to what extent are Missy and Bill precursors to the casting of the new doctor and everything. And so I feel like having the master around to comment on those things is sort of important um, so that he can kind of rail against it. Um, Mm -hmm. So. Like, like all the boy fans. Like all the boy fans. Hey, there's some girl fans who don't like it either. Um, Fair and enough. there's and there's plenty of. <laughs> I didn't mean to turn my anti-sexist comment into a sexist one. Well, and there's plenty in their defense. There's plenty of boy fans who do like it. So um, sure, but I but, just got I was way raw. I was way off on that. Sorry. I, well, but though, does it kind of suggest? Is Moffat kind of saying here that if you don't like the new casting, does that make you like the master? I don't know. Yeah, well, sure. I mean, this is the question of Trump, too, right? Like, you know, if you're anti-whatever, whoever, you know, does that mean that you're for something else? And so... Sure. Like, like there's there's a difference between, like, proactively, like, being for a thing and just Mm -hmm. simply, like, being against anything else. And so, by default, that means you're sort of you know, thrown in with this other thing that you might not other other otherwise ever, you know, want to be associated with. Right, right. So not all fans who don't like Jodie Whittaker's casting are misogynists. Is that what you're saying? I don't know. I've lost track <laughs> of what I'm trying to say. I'll be honest. Um, I guess we can leave that argument for next season. Um, yeah, like, let's wait till... We actually see her in action and then... Yeah, yeah. Um, And start getting some reactions to her. Yes. Um, Not just the announcement of her. Right. um, Which is a totally different thing, I feel Yes, yeah. Absolutely. Since we did talk about Cryptic earlier, we should probably mention that, like, reactions to the actress (laughs) and (laughs) announcing a role is different than the actual performance and you know story within the role yeah yeah or you know portrayal of the role yeah yeah i only hope that everybody can agree with that i mean (laughs) we are we already know that not everyone will so right right. um we can at least like be prepared for that much (laughs) yeah yeah no if we could all just agree to like see how the performance is that would be a good place to start, but um, yeah. Anyway, um, let's so let's, not let's to get back not to, to Bill, but yeah, I was gonna say not to like cut it too short. Like uh, Bill dies. Like if we're saying goodbye to like people, like we should mention that. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, all right. So she like comes along and like kills some Cybermen and like you know helps the doctor out a bit um yeah but like the long and short of it is you know she 
she di- she dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of. Kind of. Well, you do get that very definitive thud. Like, the way that sure. she kind of, like, I remember finding that pretty disturbing on the first watch. The way that she just kind of, like, you know, the cyber body just sort of, like, plunks to the ground. So she does get this kind of other life or afterlife but you get the definitive kind of thunk that lets you know, like, you know, that life is over. Um, there's a kind of death, at least. Yeah. Um, so, it brings up the question of, like, so, like, you know, you have you have Bill as the Cyberman who's, like, resisting the programming and all this stuff like is are we meant to think that that's like actually bill in there is it like her personality like what's all going on there would be one question that i have and then the other one is like well there's this being this heather being from you know back with bill's introduction that got taken sort of away and turned into this like cosmic creature um cosmic and now uh, pixie dream girl sure <laughs> fair enough um yeah kind of and offers bill that same opportunity um which of course she takes it and i mean and there's like the little like oh you know because you like touched my tears before and mm-hmm. you know, blah 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 um, you get sort of that explanation of it, but yeah, like, where would like like where was she when Bill was being turned into a cyber? Well, maybe Bill had. I wonder if Bill had to die to, but transcend and go to this other state. You know, but the other girl didn't die, did she? I think so. And she got sucked into the puddle. Well, she got sucked of... into a puddle, but like, that's, I mean, yes, like I can sit. Like to me, that feels like a transformation, not a death. And mm-hmm. I like, we can argue what difference there might be. I guess. Sure. I necessarily want to go down that road, but it's not like she didn't like get stabbed in the heart and then get transformed. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like there, there doesn't seem to be like an, uh, separate um mm-hmm. and i know i like this is my problem always of like looking for consistency in doctor who sure. um so like <laughs> i'm just saying that like for her it was just like you touch the puddle and get sucked in and you're you know cosmic pixie dream girl like for bill it's like oh i died mm-hmm. and then like there's it's like a resurrection basically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm maybe that's splitting hairs but like to me that feels different so i don't know I well i kind of want to like then kind of retcon the pilot and kind of say like heather did die a death and then then transformed into whatever it is she is you know and that that's like there's a similarity between but like if yeah. we want to add stuff to it, sure. Like, if we're just going to, like, 
add things. Well, I think I mean I think you could deduce that by saying she and Bill are able to interact with each other. So there must be some similarity to kind of what they are. Um but yeah, do we get an explanation of that? No. So I think it's all it's all up for grabs at that point. Um But yeah, yeah, like is is it doesn't seem like Bill is just spirit because Heather says something no. about rearranging her atoms and she could like put her, okay, so like what Yeah. What are her I, atoms? Like what is she made of? We like it's unclear. Cosmic pixie dream girl dust. Um I, I think that's kind of what they're both made of at this point. Yeah, I don't I don't get the sense at all that they're they're dead. Like I I think that and that's why I question like the process. Mm-hmm. Because like I don't I, I did and again like whatever like Doctor Who can do whatever it wants, but like <laughs> I don't get the sense that like when Heather was converted, like she that she died first. It was just like we take your existing atoms and rearrange them into this new creature. Um I'm not saying that you can't take that as a metaphorical death mm-hmm. uh, of some kind. Like that's fine. Um I don't I mean I don't like I feel like it's maybe becoming even more a bigger deal than like even it needs to be, but um I'm just curious cuz like with with Bill there is that extra like you said it's like the Cyberman buds mm-hmm. whether whether it actually dies or not i guess is the question um and then bill gets extracted mm-hmm. so or like cosmic pixie dream bill um gets extracted mm-hmm. so i i don't know i mean there you know there's tears and wetness and crying and then they go off together and explore the universe and you know now bill has a companion of her own and is Mm -hmm. still a companion they're like co-companions i guess Mm -hmm. um yeah sort of i guess more equals but um sort of similar to clara and her uh and her lady me kind of off yeah and you get the deliberate the 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 callback of uh you can go home and make chips instead of eating them and live your life or you can come with me which is like i think pretty much verbatim what you know the eccleston doctor says to rose um Hmm. you know is kind of go home eat chips and right you know live a life or you know you can do this other thing so, yeah, but they're more, even with Clara and, and me, it's more of a, like, Clara's clearly the doctor in that scenario, um, you know, and she has a companion, whereas these two are more kind of equals yeah. in terms of, like, their, you know, authority right. and their ability and everything. Right. Like, one's maybe been doing it longer, but they're they're the same. 
Yeah. Um. All right. So should we move to the doctor and Missy and the master? Yeah. Yeah. So I saw a tweet today from um, this uh, Doctor Who fan that I follow called Michael Robertson. And he said, um, fun fact, if the John Sim master is in a two-parter, part two will start with the doctor stuck in a wheelchair 100% of the time, which um, my first thought was end of time. But then I realized... It happens in Last of the Time Lords, too, because <laughs> they come back and the doctor's old yeah. and he's pushing him around in the wheelchair. Um, so, yeah, I like this little that's very Moffat to find like a, a trend between two episodes and then deliberately sort of, you know, make right. it put it in the third. Like, well, clearly we have to do this somehow. Yeah. Three, three makes it a pattern. Right. Um. Yeah, that is kind of funny. Um, yeah, I don't know how much to get into sort of the, the whole, like, so he's tied up and there's, like, the masters flirting with themselves. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how much there is to actually go through, like, sort of step-by-step step with all of that. But, um you did want to talk about sort of the doctor's speech, I think. Yeah, I don't know that there's a ton. Of, I mean, like, I guess just setting up like Missy's uh, torn state of state of mind, you know, in those early scenes where she's sort of playing both sides and you're not quite sure who she's going to go with. Um, so, yeah, like, I guess to me, like, there's a couple big scenes and the, you know, the one being the doctor's big, long monologue to them um, about kindness, which I feel like kind of comes down to, because he's brought that up in this episode and then in some other, like, I feel like that's a theme throughout the Capaldi doctor. Um, just kind of a nice summary of the 12th doctor considering that we started with him deliberately being sort of aloof and abrasive and difficult mm. and brooding and like this was the malcolm tucker doctor from the thick of it like this is like gonna be the doctor that isn't goofy matt smith and cuddly and your friend and you know he's gonna deliberately like push back a bit against all those nice warm fuzzy instincts um sure and then you kind of see them loosen and sort of soften him up over time to the point where like this you know big long definitive speech at the end is all about the value of kindness towards others um and that doesn't necessarily have to mean like niceness in a superficial way um but like his basic decency and doing what's right and sticking by the little guy even when it doesn't really end up amounting to much um mm -hmm. yeah i mean i just as a as a sort of we have one more episode but as kind of a thematic summary of the 12th doctor era i kind of like that that's 
his sort of end point. That's the conclusion that he comes to is that there's value in kindness towards others. Yeah. I mean, we do have another episode, but I also feel like it's, um, I mean, it's separate. It's, it's kind of its own thing, right? Like it's not, Whatever. So yeah, this I feel like there's this the story here is really wrapping up the story of this doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and so then you get, uh, and all of this really about convincing Missy, right? Like he kind of tries with the master a bit, but really, like this is for the benefit of Missy. Um, who's wavering, who's got one foot in each camp and you're not sure which way she's going to go. And, but also, also like if he convinces Missy, then he's convinced the master too. Right. Like, right. Well, and it's the nice parallel to the, the other multi, you know, you know, doctor time Lord episode day of the doctor where, yeah, they're separate, but really the doctors, you get the sense that they're all just different points along a timeline. Like you're getting a visual externalization mm-hmm. of somebody's thought process over a long period of time. Yeah. And that's exactly what you have here where, yeah, like by default, if he does convince Missy, then he's convinced all of the masters, you know, present and future just at a specific point in their development. Which is another line I like from, you know, the master when he's saying, like kind of pointing out his own character development of, you know, like being a woman's one thing, but you, but do you have empathy? Like that's, you know, that's as shocking as anything else in his future that even for a moment she considers another person so yep so yeah um do you agree with me that when she tells the doctor thanks for trying but it's a no that she knows what she's gonna do um that she has a plan and she's kind of I mean or or does she make up her mind on the walk to uh the elevator I tipped my hand <laughs> I, yeah I don't it I mean it's hard for me to say one way or the other cuz like I feel like you can't do that without just sort of like, you know, putting thoughts into Missy's head. Um, Yeah, there's no way to prove it. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I see why you say that. I guess I don't, I don't know that I have a strong opinion. I guess I don't know. Does it, does it matter? Like, I guess what would be the difference between one versus the other? I mean, for her, I don't know that it does matter. One thing I find poignant about the ending 
is that the doctor doesn't find out that she that she was on his side. Now, whether she decided, I guess it doesn't matter when she decided, but yeah. um, I, I, I guess I like the idea that she. So like lets, maybe she's she, trying that to she communicate. Like, right. Or that she lets doctor. him, or that she lets him believe that she's gone over to, that she's not going to budge. And like, to me, that makes it even more of a heroic sort of choice to kind of not really tip her hand and say, just say to herself, she's just going to go take care of the master. And the doctor never finds out. And she doesn't make it back to tell him, like, see, I was really on your side all along. Um, I don't know. That makes it more, a little more self-sacrificial to me. But Sure. I don't, I don't have a strong sense one way or the other. I your explanation sounds good. We can go with that. Um, it's my head cannon. Cat's head cannon rules in this particular. Should instance. keep a list. Um, um. Yeah, my head cannon changes from time to time, so I don't. I don't even know if that's. Yeah. yeah. Or you can't um, like remember what your head cannon was the last time you watched it. Um, right. Here's another thing I like. Um, okay. The master deliberately not regenerating in Last of the Time Lords, despite the doctor. Um, and here he, again, makes sure that he won't regenerate, despite the doctor. Like, you know, there's no, like, it's, he, that, this John Sim incarnation of the character is just very consistent on that point. Like, <laughs> he's, when he's suicidal, like, he's... Deliberately, this incarnation of the master makes sure that if he dies, he's really going to die. Now, that doesn't clearly work, but he tries. Um, yep. So. Yeah. No, that isn't. I hadn't thought of that, but that's totally makes sense. He is sort of the craziest of the master. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and right, there's no uh It's kind of funny to say given how sort of bananas Missy starts off. Um but ultimately But now if you look at that in the context of like I guess we don't know specifically because we don't actually see who, you know, he becomes mm -hmm. like so so they're leaving the door open here right like yeah to maybe there won't be john sims anymore but like we could have the master again right. in right. some form right um we didn't kill him completely off as far as you know um right but yeah there could be any number of incarnations and he but even it, says, like, are you the next along? And she's like, I'm not quite sure. So, yeah. Sure. Which, is that because she is so old she just doesn't remember? Or, like, because there were so many others that she doesn't remember? But it, would that, like, the latter would almost imply that, like, well, then, if she, like, knows who all those others are in between, maybe mm -hmm. 
then it's pretty safe to say that it's not the next one that turns into her. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I understand from a writing and sort of leaving things open perspective. Um, I mean, it's hard to imagine. Like, like, other than these two, how many other actors have played the Master? Um, several. Like, okay. Uh, I think there were at least, like, there were at least two in the classic series. And then, um, <laughs> you want to know who played him in the TV movie? Eric Roberts. There you go. Which tells you everything you need to know about the TV movie. <laughs> okay. Um, and then we had Derek Jacoby as well for the one, you know, Utopia. Um, so altogether there have been like five or six or seven or something like that. So there's definitely, I think that's, I think yeah. that's a deliberate leaving of, of the door for whatever Chibnall wants to do next or whoever comes after him. Right. And so, um, all that to say, like, obviously they're leaving the door open there, but like, if you're to take the master, his generation here as, you know, generating to Missy, that seems like a valid explanation as to sort of the craziness that we open with when we first see her. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, then again, like, we don't actually know how long she's been around before that or, like, what else she's done. Or, you know, again, if there's other uh, iterations yeah. that occur. But, yeah, they kill each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kills, kind of. The master kills him slash herself twice. Right. Kind of suicide slash homicide at the same time. Um, yeah. yeah, and for completely different motivation. Yeah. Um, you know, and I guess I, I hear some meta narrative in there with um, the argument about this is where we've been heading. Like, I can see that being, like, the culmination of 50 years of fans arguing, is the arc of the Master towards being the Doctor's ally and that they have more in common than not? Or is the, is the, you know, the other side being, nope, this is the Doctor's arch enemy. They yep. will never, ever be, you know, like, that's the debate that, you know, you would have to have with the character, so they kind of come to different conclusions at different points in their lives. So. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, So then we, so just sort of closing out the doctor, then we get sort of his last stand and fighting against the Cybermen. Um, and then the beginning of the regeneration, um, mm-hmm. which is where we picked up at the beginning of uh, the last episode mm-hmm. uh, with him sort of stumbling out and thrusting his hand into the snow or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. That's where we're kind of ending here. Um, yeah, right. For the most part. And yes. then you had a little production note that you want to add. Yeah, just... Uh noting the 
little cameo of uh, David Bradley here at the end as uh, the first doctor, um, echoing some of the doctor's lines of, uh, no, 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 he doesn't want to change. Don't, absolutely not. And all that kind of thing. And, um, and you know, the, the classic series quote about you may be a doctor, but I'm the doctor. Um, and so just kind of noting from a production point of view that, um, We've seen David Bradley before, both as the, you know, or not as the first Doctor, as William Hartnell in an adventure in space and time. Yeah. And then also yep. on Dinosaurs in a Spaceship um, as a completely, not as William Hartnell, as a completely different character. Um, and so I want to kind of point out the precedent for bringing back the first Doctor not played by William Hartnell, because that has been done before. Um in uh, The Five Doctors, which was, I think, the 20th anniversary special, um, where William Hartnell had passed away by that point. Uh, so um, so they brought him, they had him involved, but played by somebody else. So it sort of began this little, I guess it's a tradition now, of that it's sort of acceptable to bring him back. Because like I, I don't think you could think yet of, recasting the fourth doctor or the 10th doctor or something. Right. Um, whereas like with Hartnell, that, that that's already sort of a thing that has been done in the past. So, right. um, so people aren't likely to be too upset by it. So yeah. And then we'll get, a we'll get the two of them, uh, teamed up for the Christmas special and the finale of this entire era of the show. Before we launch into completely uncharted territory. Ooh. Well, that that will be fun. Yeah, we, uh, I guess, yeah, we'll have to come back. We, we've got one more episode before all that happens, at least. So. Yeah. Well, two more podcast episodes. But. Yep. All right. Sounds good. good. See you then. Mm -hmm.